As we turn to the book of Ephesians uh, today to look at one of the passages of scripture that we're looking at, I want us to start in chapter five so you can turn there and begin there. A number of years ago, I was having a conversation uh, with Margaret and Jim Kimbrough. They're seated over here and we were talking about a particular phase of life that my family was in and raising smaller children. You know, we have kind of, both of my kids are adolescents now, teenagers, but we were talking about what it's like raising small children. And I'll never forget Miss Margaret, I think trying maybe to give me some hope, actually deflated me. She said, I'll tell you, the hardest parenting you'll ever do is the parenting of adult children. And I thought, just give me an ice pick and stick it in my eye right now because it can't get worse than this. Really, can it? Can it get worse than this? And, 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 and many of you have adult children. No, you're, you're nodding your head going, it's hard. It's, it's tough. And I'm glad that the scripture gives us some encouragement of what we're to do. And it actually sets some expectations for us about what the home is supposed to look like. So when we talk about good parents and good children this morning, which is the title of the sermon, we're really entering into the home stretch of the book of Ephesians. One chapter left and we'll be finished. But I want us to start in Ephesians chapter five and just remind ourselves of one overarching thought. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul had been talking about what it means to be lost. So you got to see the full picture of lostness. And in chapter five, he turned it and said, now remember that's how you were, but now that you're saved, there's one overarching thing that needs to control the rest of your life. And he started saying that in verse 15 of chapter five. He said, you need to pay careful attention to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit really then kicks off everything that happens in this next little section because what he's saying is all of our lives are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you remember that he started by talking about what it meant to be uh, filled with the Spirit and how we lived our lives as a married couple. He, he said it was key for us to understand in the first century, they're talking about marriage in this context as believers that is so different because he says wives are to be submissive, husbands are to be loving. And you remember we talked about that was all hinged on one thing and it was as unto the Lord. So if we're filled with the spirit and we're living out the God ordained roles that God has for us in our relationship as husband and wives, then it makes sense that we would be controlled and filled by the Spirit and do all things as unto the Lord, not just in our families, but in everything. You remember we talked about that. It's, it's work, it's family, it's church life as unto the Lord. And he continues that thought in chapter six. And I want us to read the first four verses this morning because just like in chapter five, he starts talking about authority and understanding it and how important it is. He's gonna say to children, if you're gonna be good children, you need good parents and here's how it works. Verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If we understand what he's talking about here, we're seeing a further explanation of a life controlled by the Spirit and things lived out done as unto 
the Lord. That's important for us to see that. And I want you to look at this. As it begins with good kids, he starts just like he did, talking about the authority structure of the home with the husband being in authority over the entire family. Now he says to the children, I'm starting with you. You're under the authority of your parents. And he says this one thing to them, obey your parents in the Lord. And that's the key. God has placed parents in the home to teach children to live in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, but he's also using this structure to teach children authority. And I don't want to just kind of gloss over that. I want us to just hang out here for a second because this is a crisis that's actually facing the church today. And it's a crisis for the parents, not just for the children. I want you to see what I mean by this. We don't like authority. I didn't say your children don't like authority. I said, you don't like it. You don't like it. We don't like it. We don't like to live under authority. And because we don't understand how to live under authority, we have no opportunity to understand how to exercise authority. Authority is a funny thing because the scripture never talks authority about authority always being right. Do you remember that when Jesus was challenged with that? Who should you give these taxes to? Render under Caesar's what is Caesar's? Render under God what is God's? Paul talks about living under the authority of the state. In the Christian church today, we talk about freedom. Freedom. I'm free to do whatever I want. Really. You're free to not sin anymore. You're absolutely free to take that and run with it. But the authority structure that God places in our lives is so important. And what we're seeing today is not just that the lost world is rebelling against authority, but the church doesn't understand authority and Christian people don't understand authority. We see it because we believe incorrectly no one should have authority over us. So we don't think the government should have authority over us. We don't think our parents should have authority over us. We don't think that there's any authority in the church. We don't think teachers should have authority. We think authority is wrong, but authority is from God. And we're lost in freedom. And so when it talks about children obey your parents, because this is right, it's a structure that God is trying to teach. And I'm gonna tell you why. It's an important thing because I bet you haven't seen disobedient children in quite the light that I'm about to read it for you. Because this is a fascinating scripture that God gives us to show us what happens when minds are corrupt and the outworking of how these things happen. In Romans chapter one, in verse 28, Paul writes this about the corrupt mind. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They're filled with all unrighteousness, uh, evil, greed, and wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, uh uh-oh, disobedient to parents. Now, if I was to ask you to make the list of things that really show the corrupt mind, you might have said, oh man, sexual depravity, that that really shows a corrupt mind. People who are angry all the time, that is a corrupt mind, but disobedient to parents. Right there in that list of what happens when people have a corrupt mind. They look at their parents as if they're crazy and they don't see any reason for them to be obedient. But when you talk about this, when we talk about what it means for us to be successful, we want our children to learn how to interact with authority and exercise authority in the right way. If we do that, some great things come out of it because the Bible says that we're to obey, if you go back to Ephesians chapter six, 
because it is right. What does that mean? Correct? Righteous? Correct? It's good? Or how about this? It's in accordance with God's standards. But it's more than that. It pleases God's. And if I would, if it pleases God, if I was to ask you parents in the room, if, if you could make me a top five list for your kids to have a key to success, if I was to say, give, give me a top five things that you would say will make a successful child grow in to a successful adult, you might say all manner of things. You might say, well, we need education for our children. We need opportunities for our children. We need good friends for our children. That's very important. But it's very interesting what the apostle does here. He tells us again that God has a top 10 list and that we often don't think about it in the same way that he thinks about it. What's God's top 10 list? It's the 10 commandments. If we continue reading in Ephesians chapter six, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Well, that comes right out of Exodus chapter 20. When God gave Moses the law, God gave him the law and how he would re- the people would relate to God and how the people would relate to one another. If you remember this, there's, there's a pivot here that happens. The first four commandments deal with how we relate to God, right? You're not having any other gods before me. Don't take the name of the, uh, my name in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath, you know, all these kinds of things. And then when we get to, to, the, uh, to the fifth commandment, all of a sudden there's a, a, a shift. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land. To honor your Father and mother is something that God says is good. God gives us this top 10 list, and Paul quoting this shows us exactly from Exodus 20 how important this is. Because what he's saying is if you want your life to go well, you need to look to your parents and you need to honor them. To honor just simply means that we give and show respect and give recognition to our parents about the place that they have in our lives. And right about now, you probably have a question, I would imagine as most often is brought up during times like this, someone will say, well, pastor, how long does a person need to live under the authority of their parents? And how long should they honor their parents? And how far do we go with that and whatnot? And I'll give you just kind of some baseline things, but culturally, it probably is a little bit different for every culture in the world, but you can still apply biblical principles to it. In our culture, it would be unusual for someone to not be living at home when they're under 18, right? I mean, that that would kind of be the thing. However, some unusual circumstances might take you out of the home before you're 18, or they might bring you back into the home after 18. And if you're living in your parents' home and you're under their authority, you should do what they say because it is right in the Lord. But when we talk about honoring, that goes on forever. That doesn't stop. It doesn't stop when our parents have died. This becomes a little problematic, doesn't it? Because not all of us have parents that we feel like are worthy of honor. It's tough. Sometimes we have Christian parents who maybe in the season that they're in are not acting in a manner that's worthy of honor. But the Bible doesn't give qualifiers there. Did you notice that? That's a strange thing. So how do we honor a parent that's not a believer. How do we honor that? Because obviously Paul's writing now to the church. He's writing to them about what a Christian marriage looks like, a Christian home looks like. So how do we do that? Well, we can honor them for the things that we can find that are good. And and maybe the only good thing that we can find is that God allowed them to bring us in the world. and, And we can honor them. And maybe the way that we really honor them is by our silence. 
Not always bringing up the dirty laundry and trying to make our parents look worse in other people's eyes. Just to sometimes just say, you know, I didn't have the best relationship with my mom and dad, but they brought me here and God used that and we honor them for that. It can be tough, but as Paul writes this, he wants them to see the, the bigger reason here is that we can give honor to our parents even if they don't give us big reasons to honor them. And, and I'm always reminded of, of this, this thing that I, I saw one time where somebody was talking about the military and they said that in the military, you don't salute the woman or the man, you salute the rank. It's not unlike that in our honoring of our parents because maybe we can't find a, a great reason to honor them this morning, but we can find some God-given reasons to honor them. Paul doesn't stop there. He starts to talk to these parents now. Started with the children, and now he starts talking to the parents. In verse four, he says, fathers don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And when he starts talking about this, it's a great thing. Why doesn't he talk about the mothers? Is it because he didn't want to sing mother along? I don't think so. It's really because of what was going on in the culture around him. William Barclay's written extensively on this, and I want to just read you a quote from this. Barclay says, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his field, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and punish as he liked, he can even inflict the death penalty on his child. It was not unusual for a, a Roman father to, to maybe not even accept that child. The child would be born and everyone would wait to see if the, the father would pick the child up. If the father picked the child up, then the child stayed. If it didn't, the child was left or, or sold away. So when Paul writes this, he's saying there's something completely different about how we are to act as parents towards our children. He says we're not supposed to act like we have absolute authority over them as they did in the Roman world, but we have God-given authority in the home to do what is right. It's a spiritual authority, and it's given not for our benefit. Children aren't for our benefit. We are for theirs, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing that we see there is that God entrusts them into our hands. And if I could just say this to all of us as parents, there's maybe two extremes in parenting, isn't there? There's kind of the, the hands-off parent, and then there's the helicopter husband parents that are, that are so afraid of what might happen. And, and I want to just remind both that there's, there's a middle ground here that the scripture gives us that's really important. And God tells us that children are a gift to us and they're a stewardship for us. Have you thought about it that way? They're not really yours. They're God's. You had a part in their creation, but the scripture says that I formed you before you were in your mother's womb. It's God's work. It's a, a miracle that God does. And as God works those things out, he gives us stewardship over these things. And there's a great stewardship of spiritual authority in our lives. I love listening to parents talk about children because it's true that there are probably no exact copies of children. You know, we have similarities. You say, well, my child's kind of like your child in that way. But even if you've ever been around twins, you recognize that as much as they are alike, they are also different. And often as parents, we find ourselves talking about the, 
the, the travails of parenting. Uh, the, there are hard seasons and good seasons and all kinds of things mixed in between. And, and we talk about the responsibilities of being a parent and, and, and how we struggle with those things. And if you haven't struggled with those things, uh, I don't know that you've ever been a parent. It's hard to figure out how to be a parent. And a lot of the things that we worry about are important but they're not as important as what the scripture gives us in this stewardship process of spiritual authority to do. I want you to see what it says again. You probably read right by it like we often do. Fathers, don't stir up anger or exacerbate your children in the Lord, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Two things that you and I are responsible to do. And if we do that, we don't have to worry about frustrating our children, exacerbating. We don't have to, to stir up anger in them like a Roman father might do by saying, you're working in my field, even in chains. It's just where you're at. It doesn't matter. You're going to do what I want because I'm this kind of autocratic dictator. Instead, it says, bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you were to think about all the things that you would hope for your children, you might hope that they are athletic or do well in school or, or all those kinds of things, maybe find success in finding a good spouse, a husband or a wife. But are you thinking about their success spiritually? Because if we're thinking about their success spiritually, these two things, and you think like, shouldn't there be a bigger book on this? Shouldn't there be a, a bigger thing that the Bible writes to us about this? And Paul leaves it really simple for us by saying it's training and instruction. If you think about what training is, training is repetition through practice. Repetition. When I was growing up, I can't tell you how many times my mother must have told me to say, you better say yes, ma'am, over and over and over again. And I might say, uh, do you want something to eat? Yeah, excuse me. Yes, excuse me, ma'am, golden ticket right there. Get you something to eat, right? It was training, repetition over and over again. Training can look like this is how we do this. This is important. These are the things that are important to show respect and I'm gonna train you how to do it and I'm gonna say it till I'm sick of it and you're sick of it and we're gonna do it and do it and do it and do it until we get it right. We train in, in biblical principles, right? Because it's not just that we give instruction because instruction is the side of teaching and understanding, but then we're, tra we're training in how to practice that. So, so it might be that if you wanted to train your child about tithing, you give the biblical instruction about tithing, but as you give them that first allowance, you start teaching them about tithing. You give them a dollar and maybe you give it to them in 10 nickels. Sorry, I did it, didn't I? You were expecting it because we were going to math. Dimes, I knew it was dimes. I know it's dimes. 10 dimes, 20 nickels. 10 dimes is just easier. You take those 10 dimes and you lay them out on the table and one of them you pull back and say, that's God's, it's not yours. We're gonna give that on Sunday. They get their first job and the first thing you ask them is, man, did you get a paycheck this week? That's great. Let's sit down and let's talk about what it means to tithe. Have you figured that out? Do you know what that looks like? Do you know how to do that? You go over and over and over it with them, continually doing those kinds of things so that you give training and instruction, both. It's the teaching moments. When I was reading this passage of scripture, I kept going back to a story 
in the New Testament that I think really illustrates this for us because it kind of illustrates both sides of this story. When we talk about good parents, good children, what's one thing that could kind of sum it up? You may remember the story. Jesus had been with his parents. They'd been hanging out in Jerusalem. And they started making the trek back home towards Nazareth. And I guess as things would have had uh, been culturally appropriate, the kids kind of ran with the kids and the parents with the parents. And you didn't really worry about where your kids were. It kind of reminds me when we used to have uh, the Judson father and kids camp out. And you know, there was this kind of cul-de-sac that we camped out in this campground. And you know, you look around and say like, where are my children? And you didn't really worry about it because they were with other kids and Maybe an adult had them over here doing something. They just kind of all mingled together, but Jesus got lost. That ought to make you feel good about being a parent today is that even the parents of the Lord Jesus Christ lost him, you know? So you don't have to worry about being perfect. Just go on and chalk that one up, right? And when they finally found him, do you remember where he was? The Bible says that he was in the temple and he was hanging out and they came in and they said, hey, we have been searching for you anxiously. Where have you been? And he says, I mean, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? I mean, kind of like, we would say like, I mean, hello? I'm right where I was supposed to be. I want you to read something with me from Luke chapter two that I find very interesting about that story. Right after he said this to them, verse 51 of Luke chapter two says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and people. When we talk about what this means for us, we see what it means to be a parent and we see what it means to be a child. It's a compelling verse of scripture to say that Jesus went down to Nazareth with them. He was obedient to them in everything. And then it says about Jesus that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and people. The, the first thing that we need to see there is that he went down with them and he was obedient. He went right back to Nazareth, Nazareth with them. And I don't think we should miss this. And this is a really important thing for us because he didn't have perfect parents and yet he was perfect. Would you let that sink in for just a second? Think about your parents. Think about the job that you have done if you've been a parent. And think about this. There are no such thing as perfect parents and there was only one perfect son and he lived with imperfect parents and was obedient to them in all things. Do you think Jesus was ever accused of doing something by one of his brothers because he was a goody two-shoes, you know? He wouldn't do this. He hit me. He looked at me funny across the table. He took this or whatever. And do you think the parents were ever like, Jesus, now you can't do that. You're gonna have to be grounded for a week. Maybe. But the scripture says he was obedient to them in all things. Do you think Jesus ever didn't get a fair shake from his parents because they were flawed and they didn't know what, the full picture of the story of what was going on? It didn't matter because Jesus was perfect in all things even though he didn't have perfect parents. I, we all ought to let, us, let that sink in for just a second the next time we feel like the authority over us isn't giving us a fair deal. Because you may be right in a situation, but you're not perfect. 
Your parents won't be perfect. You won't be perfect parents. The quicker that we accept that, the faster we all get to the second thing, which is the outcome of the life that he lived at home with his folks. And I want you to see this because we obviously know that Mary was his mother. Joseph kind of his guardian while he's here on earth because he's been fathered by God, conceived of the Holy Spirit. But it said that Jesus grew in wisdom. And I think that has to be that he was learning from godly parents. He had the, the, the law and the prophets taught to him by folks who had him regularly where he needed to be. They were chosen to be his custodians, so to speak, by God Almighty himself. And so he had wisdom that he was growing in as he grew up. But then it said that he grew in stature. And that's because his parents were providing for him what he needed. They were giving him food. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. He was a worker doing those kinds of things. And, and here you see that he was growing up. He was on, on track with where he needed to be. He was a growing young man, growing into a man. Then it says that he grew in favor with God and men. I know that we all want to be well-liked and particularly as we get into our second service, I'll be speaking to a little bit different crowd because we'll have a bunch of high school and middle school students in the room. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember when the question at school was, am I popular? Am I well thought of? Do people like me? Oftentimes we do all kinds and manner of things so that we may be well liked, but one of the things that we see here is that under his parents' Authority, Jesus grew with favor in the most important relationship that he had with God and the most important relationship he had on earth with other people. And it was an outworking of his life. He was obedient to his folks, walking with them, learning from them, growing in what God had for him. So if we could maybe take a moment and try to wrap this up into three or four takeaways for us this morning. I think it would be helpful so that we could maybe understand the beginnings of good parents and good kids. Can we just all take a moment of confession and say there are no perfect parents? They're not. You're not. You won't be. Try hard as you can. You can't be. Will not happen. Let yourself off the hook. Now, hold yourself accountable to the word of God. Right, So there's this one moment of like, I'm not going to be perfect, but God has entrusted me with these children. And there's an important piece of this in my life to steward this in the way that I need to. And I'm accountable to the word of God for training and instruction. I need to do it and I need to do it well. I need to think about it often. And if I'm going to do that, that becomes an important piece. That also helps me as a child who has parents to think about honoring them and knowing that they're not perfect. One of the greatest things that someone ever told me about my relationship to my parents was that my parents had simply done the best they could with what they had. <laughs> right? They just said, look, not everybody gets five star in every aspect of their life. They just do the best they can with what they have. When I think about the the life that my parents live, it's a far cry from the lives that their parents lived and from my great-grandparents and how they lived. Because there's been some generational sins that have been broken in our family. 
because of my grandparents. Some generational sins that have been broken in my family because of my parents, and still, they're not perfect. I love them to death. Many of you know them, but they're not perfect. And guess what? Neither am I. I think that leads us to understand something. If we all understand that nobody in our family is perfect, then there's probably two words that ought to be used frequently in our homes, and it's the words, I'm sorry. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, we often feel like as parents that to say I'm sorry is to admit something is, is really wrong and we lose a positional place, and that's just simply not true. Acknowledging that we're not perfect means that I'm sorry ought to be on the very tip of our tongues. And it may be that uh, your, your child has, has acted in a way that was incredibly uh, embarrassing to you and outside of the boundaries of what should be a disciplined right child obedient to their parents and and maybe your response to that was wrong it's entirely okay to say you know how you acted today was wrong and what I'm about to say doesn't change that but I am sorry for how I responded ever try that at home maybe you should maybe you should just learn to say I'm sorry one of the things that I think we're often afraid about that is that our kids somehow will not see us in the same light uh, when we admit that we're sorry. And that's correct. They'll see you in a better light. Because they'll see you being humble. And that matches the Savior. They'll see you being truthful and asking for grace. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a powerful thing. A number of years ago, we had a little issue in our home where uh, the school had basically sent a, a note home saying that one of our children had been involved in something. The accusation was pretty strong and um, basically outlined a, a series of, I don't, I don't know exactly what I would call them, but um, the school would call them like a recommitment. You're gonna do these things to kind of recommit to the core values of what we believe here. And the funny thing about it was is that um, I'm the kind of parent that when the school says that, I'm always like, well, the school is right and you're wrong. You know I mean? Like, like you did it, what's going on type thing. But in this instance, I, I began to question uh, my kid and said, hey, what, what, what about this? And it was adamant from the very beginning. I did not do that. I did not do that. I did not do that. And so I wrote the school and said, I'm not sure that my son did this. And it kind of blew up into this big thing where uh, the principal of the school called me and said, uh, I think we have a problem. I think we falsely accused your child of being a part of this. The teacher has stepped out of bounds. And uh, what, would you, what would you like to be done? And I was like, um, I'm sorry kind of works for us. And then we can just all move on, right? I mean, it's not the end of the world. It was just a mistake. And he said, I'm gonna have the teacher call you and teacher was really sweet, asked if the family wanted to come into a, uh, a meeting. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want any meetings. You don't need all that. And I asked the teacher, who I could tell was very young. I'd never met her before. I said, do, do you have children? No, not yet. And I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you into a key that will absolutely, it'll change your life when you do. If you'll just say, I'm sorry to my child, I promise they will never remember that this happened. And they'll treat you so the same way as they did last week. It, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. God puts it in their hearts. They're ready 
to offer forgiveness. They're ready for that. It's, it's a grace that God's given them. And I remind us of that. Secondly, parents, uh, maybe it's true that you don't understand everything that your kids are going through. And kids, you often say they just don't understand. And I would say to you that that is true and not true because the scripture tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Now you say, well, that's contradictory, pastor, because Jesus didn't have an iPhone. Understand, but the idea or the biblical principles and the way that we choose to do evil and all those kinds of things, evil at its base is the same as it's always been. And so the things that you're facing today are, are very different. And so parents, you might choose to do a little more listening to that and maybe ask some other people who have just come through that stage of life, what they were seeing and what they were experiencing with that. And that will help you to do training and instruction in the Lord. It helps us to be able to do that. And that's kind of that last thing. If I could just get us to understand that if we could say I'm sorry and understand that maybe there is a little bit of a gulf, it would help us with training and instruction. But training and instruction doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. Can I ask you to just do a little informal poll? If, if you've taught a teenager how to drive, would you raise your hand? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing we're not having confession today because it might not be good for the soul for some of you as you talk about some of the things you said to your teenager as you were teaching them how to drive, right? And have you ever stomped the floor trying to stomp the brake, you know, grab the imaginary wheel, all those kinds of things? You know what I've discovered about teaching a teenager to drive is this, is that it doesn't happen without intentionality because it's always easier for me to drive, right? I mean, like, it's always faster for me to drive because I don't have to be the human GPS when we get in the car. Turn here, go there, stop. We just get and we go, right? But if you want to do that, training and instruction requires intention, it requires a, a purposeful, thought-out thing. And if you're saying, well, how can I start with training and instruction? I, I'll, I'll give you one. There's, there's, there's a great little book. We're still using it in our house. Um, and I think, I think it's important to use some kind of tool. I love Sally Lloyd-Jones' book, the, the Children's Storybook Bible. Somebody gave it to us a couple years ago, and we're still using it. I love that. Use your dinner time opportunities. Make those times where you can sit and talk about things that are going on in the world because it allows you to take things from the news and give a biblical worldview to it and give training and instruction. Give practice attempts. Understand that they are going to mess up. And our job as parents is to discipline them in the Lord to bring them right back to training and instruction. This is a chance for us to all do better. This is a chance for us to learn what God wants for your life. And as you model that with purposeful intent, you'll be surprised what God does in your kids' lives. Pastor Jack often is fond of saying that more is caught than taught in all of our lives, right? It starts with you. Do your kids, do your grandkids see mom and dad and grandma and grandpa praying? Do they see them talk about issues of the day and find out what the scripture says about that? Do, do they see you read your Bible at home? Do they see you get up and get dressed for church? Do they see you head out the door? Purposeful intent. It just goes a long way. I believe this morning that we have some good parents and I believe we have some good kids and I believe that all of us, truthfully, as we read this passage of scripture, 
are kind of pinged by it a little bit. Were you pinged by it a little bit? As I studied it, I was pinged by it because I thought about my own purposeful intentionality. I thought about how I need a little more in a couple of areas. Maybe you look back today, this morning as parents, and you say, oh, I wish I had done this, this, and this better. Well, we'll all have those things, but let me ask you a more poignant question about that. Is there something in your life that you might just need to look back to your grown children or your grandchildren or children living at home and go home today and just say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I, I blew that. Time can't make up for that. I mean, it's gone. It, it is what it is. But I wanted you to know that I'm sorry and that I love you. Parenting truly doesn't stop when our kids leave the house. It changes. And maybe like Miss Margaret, you would say, Mr. Jim, it's the hardest parenting you'll ever do in your life. You don't know when to speak and when to be silent. But Ecclesiastes says there's a time for both and you better learn it, right? That's a Holy Spirit control thing. Asking God to fill you every day and to continually give you what you need to parent makes us good parents, good kids. The kingdom needs it. Let's pray. Father, today I'm praying for us that you would help us in a number of ways. Father, I, I believe in a room of this size, there's always someone with a hurt from growing up. And the truth of it is, they may have carried that hurt around for a long time. And they've just not ever released it to you. Father, for us to live in unforgiveness towards anyone is a sin. We call it what it is, but some of us this morning are harboring that. And my prayer for them, Lord, this morning is that they would release that burden. For some of us, it's been hard to honor our parents. For some of us, a joy. But probably most of us, it's all in between. Father, some of us have really degraded our parents, demeaned our parents for what they didn't have, for what they weren't. But God, they were our parents and you gave them to us. Would you let us honor our parents right now? I'm gonna ask you to do something that's a little unusual while we pray. Would you pray and thank God for something in your parents' life? Would you honor them to the Lord right now? Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I'm, I'm still holding on to the bitterness. You don't know my parents. They're tough. God knows. Would you release them from that right now? Lay that down. Maybe as a child in the room this morning, you would just be reminded of your need to honor your parents. And parents, maybe we would start today to grandparents to just say, Lord, we, we are not perfect, but we want to raise our children 
in the training instruction of the Lord. Help us, Lord, do it. God, may you grant us the wisdom to be good parents and grandparents. May you grant us the wisdom to be good children. Father, may we do these things as unto the Lord for your glory and your sake. We ask you, God, as you fill us with the Holy Spirit to give us all wisdom everything that we need. Father, some of us this morning are looking at our kids going, we don't feel equipped. We don't know what to do for this child. And yet, Lord, you have placed them in our care. May we steward our relationship with them for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.